Welcome to the Move Against Cancer podcast, the podcast that aspires to support and inspire people to move, exercise and live an active and fulfilling life despite a cancer diagnosis. The podcast where we share the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. We know that many people are scared to stay active during cancer treatment. We know that for some, cancer can take away the hope that comes from dreaming of a future. And we know many people diagnosed with cancer feel isolated and lonely. We hope that by sharing the stories of others finding their way through cancer, the Move Against Cancer podcast will provide hope, support and a sense of empowerment to anyone living with and beyond cancer. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Move Against Cancer podcast. Um, My name is Lucy Gossage. I'm an oncologist and 5K Your Way co-founder. Wow, we are getting such lovely feedback to this podcast. Um, as you know, we didn't, don't really know where it's going to go. Um, we're really enjoying the process and we feel hugely honoured that we've had so many incredible guests um, coming to join us. If you haven't had a chance yet, I really would recommend that you have a listen to the incredible conversation that Gemma had with runner extraordinaire Paula Radcliffe and her daughter Isla. Um, For anybody who doesn't know, Isla was diagnosed with cancer last year and she talks so eloquently and articulately um, about her experience as a 14-year-old going through cancer treatment. Um, And Paula really opens up about what it's like to be the mum of someone um, who's going through cancer and how they as a family managed to get through this diagnosis and treatment journey um, during the pandemic. Um, We've had some lovely comments. Um, So Liz Fell said, "Um, I've only just discovered you having seen the advert for today's podcast. My goodness, I laughed and wept and smiled at the familiarity of today's podcast. So much was so similar to our journey. My son Isaac was diagnosed with ALL in February 2016 and finished treatment in May 2016. 2019. I reckon I could hang out with Ida and Paula for at least a week swapping stories and having things in common, even to the sending away of, um, of hospital clowns. Um, thank you, Liz. And um, Nikki Bartlett, uh, a friend of mine, sent me a message. Goss, I listened to the Paula interview on the treadmill yesterday. Wow, so, so good. It drew me in so well. There's not many key sets you can do on a treadmill and listen to a podcast, but I almost didn't even think about the run set because I was that drawn into the chat. Um, High praise indeed. Uh, I really would recommend having this. And Jen's a brilliant interviewer. And um, we're so grateful to Ida and Paula for joining us. Um, now, this week, I am really looking forward to chatting with Gillian Sewell. Um, so Gillian is an incredibly strong lady. She's the CEO of YMCA Derbyshire. Um, and her incredible son, Lewis, died of cancer aged just 18 in August last year. Um, I was one of the oncologists treating Lewis. Um, I got to know them both very well during the pandemic. Um, I don't know where this conversation is going to go. I'm quite nervous about it, um, but I feel hugely privileged um, to have the opportunity to explore one-to-one with Gillian what it's like when the unimaginable happens um, and your child is diagnosed with cancer. Um, So we'll see where this goes. Um, I suspect it's going to be a tough one, um, but we hope you enjoy it. Um, Gillian, thank you for joining me today. Um, 
So I I've thought about you and Lewis so much um, since we last last saw each other in August last year, um, and and honestly I can't even begin to imagine what what the last year's been like or the last nine months have been like for you. Um, just a, a little bit of context for people listening. Um, you had an incredible son, Lewis, um, who died last August in Nottingham um, from a, a very rare, very aggressive um, rhabdoid tumour. Um, Lewis was just 18 when he died, um, and I was one of one of the oncologists who treated Lewis. Um, you are one of the strongest women I met. Um, you're CEO of YMCA Derbyshire, um, and... <laughs> If I know one thing, it's that you fought for Lewis every single step of the way. And that didn't always make life easy for me. Um, but you could not have done more for Lewis. Um, so I, I'm not going to pretend I'm not nervous about this conversation. But um, I am hugely privileged and grateful that you've agreed to, to join us. And I hope that we can both talk openly and honestly about, um, about your experience of being Lewis's mum. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, Tell us uh, about Lewis, first of all. Lewis as a person. Oh, Lewis, Lewis was incredible. He, I mean, he was... Um, we were asked, actually, ironically, after Lewis had passed, uh, how we could describe him. And we came up with three words that we felt absolutely described Lewis. And that was that he was resilient and he was courageous and he was positive. He really, he never complained once about his treatment or his chemotherapy. But, but also cancer aside, he was driven and he was motivated and he had the driest, the driest sense of humour you could possibly imagine. And he would just raise an eyebrow. Uh, he was just, he was a funny, funny lad. He was a bit quirky, actually, I think he could be described. He was a very passionate actor. Um, also, whilst to show his determination, whilst he was undertaking um, his um, chemotherapy, he completed his gold uh, Duke of Edinburgh award. Uh, he was awarded that, um, and he was also auditioning to um, to drama schools whilst um, completing his A levels. And um, he got his A level results, albeit it was a very interesting time when he received them. Um, and he he just kept going. He was just, he loved life. But there was a family joke that if Lewis said, did you know, then you knew you were in for <laughs> quite, quite a conversation because Lewis had read something. He also taught himself coding whilst he was in hospital. He just loved life. He, uh, he was just a joy to have as a son. And he was he was a joy to get to know as a person. Um, and I think I got a little taste of his dry sense of humour with some of the things that I said. Um, and he certainly would, would challenge me quite a lot, wouldn't he? Um, about he would. some of the, the plans and the the thing. I, I, can, I can remember one day, I, I, I think I came in and um, I said, the good news, Lewis, there's some good news. You're going to have a break from chemo. Um the bad news is you're going to have an operation in that break. <laughs> <laughs> it was something along those lines, but that, you know, that's what yeah. life, life is I like. I remember him saying, can you keep your bad news and can you keep your good news? You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think people knew this, actually, but um, before, because um, it was a real privilege. I actually, um, I, I spent about 14 months with Lewis um, in and out of hospital and a good six months whilst he was having his chemotherapy and we were together 
during that time. And um, But before the ward rounds or anybody was coming in, I, I don't think you know this, Lucy, but <laughs> I was given my instructions. Okay. I was given my instructions as into what he needed from the conversation, how to behave. You know, so you'd say, right, mum, you said, I, I need the rock violet today. <laughs> like I, I, I want out, and I want them to reduce my chemotherapy. You know, release the Rottweiler. And I remember one day he actually, I said to him, I said, Lewis, do you actually want me in the room? You know, and I said, do you, do you want to have your consultation and and talk to me afterwards? And he looked at me and he went, Who are you? What did you do with my mum? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Lewis was um, Lewis was seventeen when when he diagnosed, mm -hmm. and, and we'll talk mm -hmm. a bit about the diagnosis process. And and it was it was very challenging. Um, mm -hmm. But when I met him, he he was terrified, and he he seemed a very young seventeen year old, and and then transitioned into to this adult. But one of the things I noticed as we got to know each other was was how early on you would do the talking for him, and as time went on, he did the talking first, and and. I think there was an element of you perhaps making yourself take a step back. And I mean, it sounds like actually you and Lewis were talking through how you're going to respond to, to mm. me. I think that's is one of the interesting things about the transition. Um, because Lewis um, moved, which was a transition from, I suppose, being a, a child to being an adult or being a, you know, being 17 to becoming 18 um, happened um under the NHS it didn't happen at home it happened with the NHS and I remember um me being challenged as Lewis's mum because when we were at um the QMC um he was in pediatrics and any news that Lewis was going to receive and it always seemed to be becoming more and more bad news or worse news or you know um it was always quite uh upsetting news that we were receiving and um, when we were at paediatrics there would be a, a decision we'd know first and then we would share the news with Lewis and then one Saturday afternoon at one o'clock on a Saturday afternoon that was our transition that was Lewis's transition he, he was moved to the city hospital and there are issues around that but he was moved to the city hospital and the welcome was phenomenal there's absolutely no doubt at all. I went from sleeping under a sink <laughs> to actually having uh, a bed in a wardrobe. It was amazing. Um, and Lewis went from being on a ward with a, a, a you know screaming baby to his own private room. It was incredible. And, and um, but when that transition was made, we went from Lewis, do you want your parents in the room? Um, and and that was a bit of a shock, really, to our system. And and in some senses, we describe, we described the NHS as an overbearing, <laughs> interfering, uh, opinionated relative that you had no choice but to live with. <laughs> That's probably a very fair description, isn't it? <laughs> because it was, it had to be um, the the wards ruled, you know. You know, you had, you had, you kind of found yourself having to abide by the rules to be able to get somewhere. It was it was mainly around relationships and goodwill um, was was what came out really in the end. And you know, in some senses, we were shaped and formed to fit to the culture, um, not the people. I mean, the people. Oh my God, we met some phenomenal people. 
um, incredible people and, and good people. And I'll include yourself in that. <laughs> uh, but it was the culture was was overpowering. Um, and you had to abide, but you you, to, you ended up having to toe the line really with the culture. But in fairness, that was compounded because we were in a pandemic. We entered a pandemic, I think, about three weeks into Lewis's treatment, two three weeks, um, and I don't think it would have been that way. Infection control kind of became this faceless um, dictator. Really, that's how it felt. Oh, it was. I mean, it was horrendous from. From from uh, you know from my side as well, watching families like you and and you were allowed to stay with with Lewis, but he was allowed one visitor, one person mm-hmm. at a time. Um, all mm-hmm. the all the normal support, like his friends would have been allowed to visit, and and yeah. But, and I know you had really, I think on on the ward, the young person's ward that he was on, that that was fine, and and you were allowed to stay. And and there were huge problems when he was admitted as an emergency, which happened far too often, where where mm. you weren't allowed to visit. Um, and I, I I just can't imagine what it was like to have to have gone through that from from both sides, from Lewis's side being scared as an emergency when he most needed his mum beside him, and from your side as a mum watching your son leaving him at a door as an emergency when you were worried what might happen. Yeah, it was like nothing on earth because a mother wants to protect her child. That's that's the that's the be all and end all. I mean if I could have swapped beds with Lewis I would have. I honestly would have taken it. And that's easy to say because you know it won't happen, but I genuinely uh, would have swapped beds with him and and just to lighten it a little bit, there was one night um it must have been about 11 o'clock at night and Lewis dived out of his bed and dived into my bed. And I said, what on earth are you doing? What's wrong? What are you doing? What's wrong? And he went, I don't like being in that other bed because you, you, you get woken up and you get needles in you. You, you, can, you can spend time in that other bed. That'd <laughs> be ridiculous. And then I looked at the other bed and I went, I've got to be honest with you, mate. That's a really comfy bed compared to the one I'm in, like laughing. <laughs> And then I ended up in this bed and the nurse came in and she took one look at me as if what on earth is going on? And I explained to her what Lewis had said and without breaking a pulp, just she went straight into taking my temperature, <laughs> taking my blood pressure. I never said a word and then walked out again. It was just brilliant. It was hilarious. So, um, But yeah, to, to watch a child go through, uh, no parent, no parent should, 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 have to go through that it was just it was brutal and um, to do that and also to be separated from and 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 we are we are inquiring about this because what mm. I do not understand is when Lewis was 17 years 11 months three weeks and six days old I could be with him at all times and the minute he turned 18 um I couldn't and I just couldn't get my head around that because he then would be taken into a side room anyway because they would be suspected COVID every time because Lewis, Lewis had seven COVID tests, seven. And at that point, the results were taking up to 24 to 33 hours to come back. And it's phenomenal the, the distance that's travelled now on how quick those results come back. Mm. But it would sometimes take up to 33 hours and you'd be in isolation and I'm thinking, well, why can't I be in isolation with him? But as soon as he left, uh, you know, the receiving unit, he would be straight up and I'd get a phone call and I could join him. And that was the thing. He wanted me to join him. I think oh, that's yeah. really. 
sorry, what I was just going to ask, what was your relationship like before cancer? Um, we've always had a good relationship, actually. I mean, um, I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a youth and community worker by trade. I mean, that's what I'm trained in. Um, and um, we, I used to be on the school runs with Lewis anyway, you know, and his brother, Matt. So I'd, you know, be doing pickups or drop-offs. And, and his daddy and my husband, he would also be on it. So we were a really close family. Um, but he had a really strong bond with his dad. They were they were peas in a pod. I mean, my God, they look alike and everything. I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I was saying that to Ian last night. I said, "There's times when I just see you in the doorway, and it just my heart skips a beat because they just were, were you know." Um, Lewis used to be called Mini Me, and then he was called Mighty Me because he ended up getting taller than his dad. Um, but we had a really um, we had the normal mother son relationship, but we were always honest with one another. It was always a really close. We were a close family. Um, and Lewis was challenging. Oh, my God, he was challenging. And he had his own way of doing things. And he was frustrating because his timekeeping and his tidiness, the usual stuff. I mean, now, to be honest with you, my heart breaks because the place is just too tidy. You know, I, I would, I would, I would I'd say to any mum, love an untidy home because to have a clean one, it's just wrong. And there, there were times, weren't they, where he would battle with you about not coming back in when his temperature went up. And yeah, I mean, I think that was also the risk. They, I mean, he was deemed as stoic, but Lewis wasn't stoic. He was terrified. Yeah. I mean, he was stoic, but he was terrified. And the problem was, he knew that as soon as he was taken in, he was completely on his own. He wouldn't eat the food. He wouldn't. Um, you know, he, he had his own drinks and all that kind of stuff. And he wanted the company because it was such a long, long time. I mean, we, we did board games and we did, you know, quizzes and all that kind of stuff. But just to be with someone um, and was so hard. So each time he got ill, and he did get really, really mm -hmm. ill. I mean, I think it was at Pantitopenia he'd get and like everything would drop through the floor and, or he would get neutrophena sepsis. And we always knew, we knew it was going to be within a week to nine days that Lewis would end up back in hospital. And his temperature would be going up and up and up and he would fight us and he would refuse to go to hospital. And there was one time he, he categorically refused to go that we left as, as long as we could that we ended up having to call an ambulance. And that was really, and we'd only ever done that once and because uh, we'd normally got him there. But, you know, because he would refuse to go because he knew the minute he went in there, he was completely on his own. And, and we, are, we are taking that further. We are making some representation about that because Lewis's physical health is really, really important. The country's physical health is really, really important. But there has to also be psychologically informed environments have to exist. The mental health is equally as important. You can die from mental health maybe not as quickly as you can die from physical health and you die in a different way. But, and I wasn't saying that Lewis was ever a suicide risk, you know, he, was, he, was, he wasn't, but mental health um, is a significant issue. I, I mean, I, I think we will look back on how people in hospitals were treated during the pandemic and we will think it was barbaric. Um, and, and, you know, I don't... Uh, Obviously, I speak personally from watching my patients, mm -hmm. and I want them 
grateful to to have visitors and have the support and I, I i i don't know what the answer is but um i agree with you absolutely and i can't imagine what it was like to to have to force your son to go into hospital knowing that he needed to but also knowing that it was the last place on earth that he wanted to be it was always on a saturday night as well i mean and that's a trigger for me. A lot of Saturday nights, I do, I do think of Lewis. I mean, I think of him all the time. It seems especially painful on a Saturday evening. Oh, you, your stomach's in your boots. You know, you're just... And not to go with him as well, despite the fact that we had a consultant's letter. You know, we, um, we weren't able to go with him. I remember having a stand-up argument with your colleagues, one of your <laughs> esteemed colleagues. <laughs> and... Um, he was like, well, you know, because I was, I was really, I mean, Lewis had had, um, what was it he'd had, um, oh, what was it called? The procedure with bone marrow. He had a bone yeah, marrow yeah, biopsy. Yeah. And there'd been, a, there'd been an error in as far as he'd been given the sedation, um, but um, one thing led to another and the, um, the sedation was wearing off when he actually got the procedure. And I remember holding him so tightly and, you know, and talking to him and, and talking him through uh, while the procedure happened. And um, and then it happened and, and, he, and, he, and I came out of the room and I literally put my back to the wall and slid down the wall onto my hunkers in the corridor. And someone came and said, oh, you really need to talk to someone, you know. And I said, yes, I do. My husband. No, you really need to see someone. Yes, I do. I need my husband and I need my son and I need them here and I need them now. And they said, no, no, maybe, maybe I can, you know, a counsellor or something. I said, no, I need my husband. And um, the next day, um, Lewis was still in and um, his dad was standing in the corner looking through the window on the phone talking to Lewis because um, Ian came to the hospital nearly every day, but he stood outside on the phone and looked at his son through a window and um, I remember going out and I, and I, and I said to um, <laughs> the consultant, <laughs> I said, can, can, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. This cannot continue. I need a break. Lewis needs somebody else to be with him. His dad needs to be with him. You need to allow us to be a family. We need that support mechanism. And... Um, he said, well, well, maybe you want to go outside and, and, and maybe meet in the park. And I don't know, I said, do you want to take a look out the window? It's chucking it down the road. <laughs> but I didn't quite put it as politely as that. <laughs> and, and then within about an hour, I had a meeting with infection control. <laughs> and Because um, uh, this happened in the middle of the corridor and the, and the nurses were walking by going, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know? And... Um, and then I was allowed to at least tag team because we as a family, we're not going to put our own son at risk by, you know, we were in isolation. The whole, my husband was working from home. My son had, was working from home. We were making no contact, but we weren't allowed to be together. And um, so eventually we were at least allowed to tag team. And, and then think, eventually. Sorry. And then eventually Lewis's brother was allowed to come in. And um, the nurses said that the room smelt rather right when both boys were in the room yeah. together <laughs> and there was no mother's influence, but that's another story. <laughs> but uh, just to, to put it in context, Lewis was, was having treatment where he was in for several days every two weeks um, for mm -hmm. chemo and then had some surgeries along the way. And 
more often than not would end up getting an infection or a complication mm-hmm. in between. So he, he really was in and out of hospital all the way through the the height of that well the start and the real height of the pandemic and lockdown and one of the things that I always remember is um I think I will always remember is, is how focused Lewis was on on getting to his 18th birthday and that would be he was going to have four cycles of chemo he was going to have his scan and he was going to have his 18th birthday party and then lockdown came and I think maybe there was an infection as well but obviously there was no 18th birthday party and that kind yeah. of stumbled up that was really hard but also um but the family all um they they did a video and um it's a beautiful video that came from every family member we had and um and when also when we we kind of came out of lockdown sort of didn't we between july and september of last year and um so we actually had lewis's eight i'm happy to tell you lucy <laughs> Lewis had his 18th, but it was spread over three days. In we would ex- when yeah. after, after he was told his treatment wasn't working. After he was told his treatment wasn't working, we had Lewis's 18th. And um, and it was lovely, actually, because it because it, otherwise it would have been really awkward. There was a purpose to bring people together, you know, because we knew that Lewis only had a few weeks. And um, so we had this 18th. And my, you know, my my um, my employer, my organisation, YMCA, they brought round um, burger vans. We had them in the in the paddock kind of thing, and um, where we knew, you know, a farm where we where we lived, oh. our neighbours' paddock. We, we had that in there, and and then so one night was for the family, and we were all in the garden. We were under marquees, and the rain was lashing. And I remember his brother going out dancing, it's raining men, you know, just to, <laughs> just, just so we ended up with a rain dance. And uh, we just took it in our stride. And then the following night, the musical theatre group came and we had neighbours on both sides and all they could hear was Bohemian Rhapsody getting sang. They, they sang the whole night and my brother-in-law had set up like all the, you know, it was, you know, like a karaoke kind of thing but it was the size of the garden and you know they had smoke machines and and everything so he actually had you know so there was a, fa- a night for family there was a night for friends um lewis's friends and then there was a night for the family friends and we did it over three days and we were exhausted and lewis was i've got amazing photographs of him in the middle of it all uh but you'll never believe this this is just this, this was lewis he sat there and then all of a sudden, I kind of looked around and I saw a few people getting really distressed. And I thought, I wonder what's going on, you know. And one of my neighbours was sitting there and he had his head in his hands. And I was like, Sam, are you all right? You all right? He said, Jill, you never guess what. I said, what? He said, Lewis has asked me to carry his coffin. He was arranging his funeral at his 18 because he didn't want me to have to do it. He, you know, he'd, and he wanted to choose who he was going to carry him. And, and, his, and his uncle Steve, he did that. And, and in the end, there was a little bit of devilment in him where he was actually thinking, right, Operation Make Him Cry. That's what he called it, you know. And, and then he asked his uncle Steve if he would and his cousins. And I mean, these are rugby players, these guys, and, and reduced them to, to tears. And he was like almost walking away going, my work here is done. <laughs> you know, um, it's just the way he was. And, um, but yeah, he had his 18th. I'm really, really happy to tell you he had his 18th. Oh, wow. And we have amazing photographs of it and amazing memories. So I, uh, I, mean, I, I didn't, I didn't know that. I, 
I did know from Claire, so Claire's our, our teenage young adult nurse who worked very closely with you both. I do know that you crammed more living into Lewis's last few weeks than most people would do in, in six years, ten years. Um, it was amazing. I mean, we, we used our networks. I mean, Lewis was mad, mad keen on um, all things aviation as well. I mean, if he wasn't going to go into acting, he was, he was actually working the way, how can I make the most money? <laughs> and he realised that maritime um, was, was the place to go. Logistics um, for maritime was the place to go. And, uh, but he was nuts about aeroplanes and all sorts of stuff. And um, a friend of ours works for Rolls-Royce, so we contacted him and said, look, and he said, oh, he said, leave it with me. And a couple of days later, we got a phone call from the test pilot of Rolls-Royce and um, asking to speak to Lewis. And uh, basically, they were arranging for him to, um, was it the Spitfire um, or the Merlin? I think it was the Spitfire. They were arranging for him to be um, to go and see the Spitfire. And um, and at the end of the conversation, the pilot went, tip top. And Lewis went, did he really say that, Mom? He said, tip top. You know? and, and he was invited over. And I said to Ian's dad, you know, to Lewis's dad, I said, I think you, you, you do this one. You know, so he went with Lewis and um, they spent the day there and there was a private jet that they took him on and, you know, and he had his lunch and all that kind of stuff. And uh, a couple of days later, we got another phone call to say they'd been so impressed with Lewis's knowledge. Um, they felt that they actually had more knowledge than some of their engineers, that they were having to reposition their um, their jet, uh, the Gulf jet, I think it was. Would Lewis like to go down to Farnborough on the jet? And so the whole family, we all toodled off down to Farnborough on this jet. It was just incredible, you know, because Lewis, I need Lewis sat with the pilots, he was chatting away to them. And then um, the um, the high sheriff of Derbyshire um, also was following Lewis's story and said um, she arranged for him to have a um, helicopter ride. And it was only supposed to be like 20 minutes over the, the dam, you know, where they did the dam mm -hmm. busters. And um, we were four hours because, the, you know, the conversations Lewis was having with the pilot and they tried to take him over Manchester Airport. That didn't happen because of the traffic and what have you. So they took him over an RAF base. We went up to Blackpool, went round the tower, you know, across the sea. And then they took him into the, you know, private hangar and he just loved it. He loved it. And then he went to London because we had to get permission for Lewis's A-level results to be released um, because we didn't think he would make it to his A-level. And, um, but because of the political situation around the A-levels at the time, I think if the college had had one lot of results, they could have worked out everybody's results really. So, um the examining boards were saying, no, 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 you can't have them, you can't have them. And uh, so we made a few call phone calls, to made a few phone calls, and um, the Secretary of State of Education contacted the college and said, I need to speak to the Prime Minister to have the results released. And um, so that went to the Prime Minister. Uh, Prime Minister heard about Lewis, uh, heard his story, and Julie invited Lewis to meet the Prime Minister so he gave the Prime Minister, he had a good chat uh, they met What and, did they talk about? Oh, all sorts of stuff but Lewis did give him a bit of a hard time on the performing arts 
Oh, and and, um, and also um, Ian thanked him for the lockdown in Leicester because his mother-in-law lived there. Um, so we had a bit of a joke about that. But no, he was he was so gracious with Lewis, actually, regardless of his politics. Whether you know, um, he was so he was he was wonderful with them, and you know, and he got a book, his book they'd written, and they and they ended up talking about the plane, some plane that had a new livery or something on it, and. And he was just, the, the pair of them just went off on one and then um, got a phone call to say that he was also able to go to meet with the Australian ambassador, the High Commissioner for Australia. Um, they went over there and we had high tea with them and Lewis again was talking about international politics and they told us some stories about the Second World War and the Australians and we went down to we an Australia house and we went down to the basement and where the, the gold bullion used to be kept. And and then they, they had a theatre and a pub down there that was for the servicemen that were serving, the Australians that were serving during World War. It was fascinating, and Lewis loved it. And then he, you know, he was got to the House of Commons, the House of Lords, and he, you know, he was talking to, to all sorts of people, um, and he loved that. And then um, messages started coming in because my colleagues at the YMCA um Bernadette and Jane had arranged for Lewis to get a couple of messages from the West End because he, he was into acting. And that's pretty much taken a life of its own now. He received over 200 messages from the West End, from Broadway, from Hollywood. He had a poem written for him by Michael Mapurgo, the um, author of War Horse. Lin-Manuel Miranda from Hamilton the Musical got in touch. He did a duet with saw, the leads of this. yeah of Hamilton, he did that, and that was one take. That was incredible. But the, the standing joke really is when Lewis was at Rainbows, um, he was he was in bed, and his dad was was sitting on the sofa, and he went, "Dad," he said, "Who's Sharon Stone?" <laughs> and he was like, "What? What?" He says, "I've just had a message from Sharon Stone." <laughs> <laughs> who, who is she? <laughs> his dad was like. Well, if you don't know, son, all your uncles do, you know what I mean? And, uh, so there was a standard joke about Lewis getting a message from Sharon Stone. And, um, and then they did, a, they did an article on him um, as an actor, which was wonderful. Not as a, not as a cancer uh, sufferer patient, as an actor. Um, and they, um, so he had a write-up in the What's On, sta what's on Stage um, in London. And he also was on the Broadway Times as well um, as an actor. And, and then um, after Lewis passed, we also received messages from across um, West End. And there's now a charity in Lewis's name, um, the Lewis Sewell Memorial Trust, to help aspiring young actors uh, the private benefactors donated a substantial amount, and also we are we are fundraising with Rainbows. But um, Rainbows, is Arlene... the, sorry, just to just to explain, Rainbows oh. is, is the hospice that Lewis died in. He did, he did. Yeah, they were incredible. Um, but the um, Arlene Phillips um, is a trustee, is becoming a trustee wow. of Lewis's Trust. Um, gentleman by the name of Cleve September who was in Hamilton the musical uh, he was incredible and, and a woman called Sabrina Lucci who's been in Le Miserable and what have you there becoming trustees of Lucy's Trust and they're coming up for um, a sponsored walk in May um, to raise funds. 
you're doing the what's it is it walk for, walk for lewis 18 miles for yeah it's called walk for lewis 18 miles for 18 years um and it's it's going to be incredible and um we have got we start on the monday from um on the 24th we start at uh, nottingham playhouse and i'm delighted to be informed that their bacon butties waiting for us at the playhouse <laughs> And they've embraced us, the Nottingham Playhouse, because also they were in touch with Lewis as well, which was incredible. Uh, we start our walk, and it's um, Father Joe, Joe Wheat, who's a chaplain that also spent time with Lewis when we couldn't at the, at the hospital. And he also um, was uh, with Lewis when he passed, and he was did Lewis's funeral as well. And he's a really good family friend. Um, so Joe's um, arranged all of this and he's called me his pilgrimage between the East Midlands theatres yeah. and a good friend, Dennis McCarthy, who's a friend of Joe's as well and us. They've arranged it all. Um, and Rainbows are on board as well. And we're walking from the Playhouse and we're going to Rainbows Hospice um, we, in Loughborough, where that's our first day. Um, because as you say, that's where, that's where Lewis passed away. Um, and happy to talk about them. They were incredible. Yeah. Sorry. No, it, and then, sorry. Carry on. No, no, I, I was just going to say, just, I mean, you, you've arranged so much. Did that, did that give you energy in those, in those last few weeks? Cause you knew, you knew Lewis was dying. He knew he was dying. Mm. You didn't mm. know how long you knew it was very little time. Yeah. I mean, um, Lewis wanted to know how long he had. And um, I remember it was two to four weeks. And I'll share something else that will um, maybe shock you as well, really, is um, we had also lost our son previously as well. So Lewis is our second child to pass away, but our first child died at birth. And um, he died on the 15th of August. Um in 1997, and Lewis made a commitment that if he could make it to the 15th of August, he would. And Lewis died at 10 to 1 in the morning of the 15th of August. And I remember at half past 11 at night on the 14th of August, I said to the nurse, is he passing? And Lewis, to the shock of everyone, said, no, not yet. And he passed on the 15th of August because he was determined that he wanted us to have one day um, a year to grieve. Um, but it's a lot more than that. But that's that was the kind of kid that he was. That was incredible. But we did so much. I mean, the only regret we've got, and we decided that, and I think this is important, it's so important during that time to live. No regrets. There's no time for that. Live. If there was anything I could actually share with someone that knows that their time is coming, be it a week, a month, a year, no regrets, live. And and that's what we said to Lewis as well. And he was like, I'm here, as I say, he said, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. And we sat down and we made sure there was always something to do on his bucket list. He actually had a, um, a cruise ready to be on a luxury yacht. We'd arranged that. His brother, Matt, had arranged for that to happen. We always made sure there was also something else to look forward to. You know, and and all of this was during lockdown and COVID. Otherwise, we would have done a whole lot more. Um, but that would be my only really piece of advice to anyone: is don't don't take time. And also, I think 
the way that you you told us, you told Lewis, um, I couldn't have been done. It couldn't have been done any better. I've got to be honest. It couldn't have been done any more gently, um, any more honestly. And we also saw what it took out of you, uh, you know, and and Claire. We saw that. Um, but the honesty was required and we never questioned. We trusted you as well, actually, and we never questioned the diagnosis. And I have had some criticism, You would you believe, from a couple of quarters on, oh, you shouldn't have accepted it, you should have carried it. We were in a pandemic as well, you know, and he had a very short time. And that belief that we knew, we the fight that Lewis had put up, the operations that he'd had, he'd lost his kidney, his ureter, his, you know, his appendix, part of the lining of his lung, you know, operations in his pelvis. He'd been through, it would have been selfish for us to hold on to him. And, and that's one of the things that we also did, three of us, um, Matt, Lewis's brother, his older brother, Ian and I separately agreed well, we agreed and then we did it separately as we sat with Lewis and said that we loved him so much it was time to let him go. And we gave him our love and permission to go. Because it, it would have been selfish to do otherwise. Mm-hmm. The cancer consumed him. And we were stunned at how quickly. I mean, you could actually physically see it growing. And he, his friends were also, before Lewis passed, went into isolation so that they could actually have a, week, a weekend away with his mates. And it was like nothing on earth, Lucy. It really was. And Ian and I were going to get them a cottage. We were going to, you know, invest, get them a cottage. And Matt turned and said, no, mum, make it real. Make it real. Dad, don't do this. Let them do what they can afford. And they ended up in a caravan park, a haven caravan park in um, Maplethorpe <laughs> and, um, for the weekend. And if it hadn't been for rainbows and the palliative care side of it, that wouldn't have happened. Is that, um, so Lewis went away for the weekend with his brother and Lewis's mates were all there. And there's a standing joke of what happened in Maplethorpe stays in Maplethorpe. <laughs> Well, we had some news for Lewis's friends after Lewis passed that we were also in Mablethorpe, but they never knew. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was no way. I mean, this was literally, this was four days, now, well, five days before Lewis passed away. And, but he desperately wanted to go away with his mates. And it was the hardest thing to let him go. And he, but Ian and I were in a hotel albeit a plush, plush yeah. hotel up the road. <laughs> they had a spa. We're good. Um, so we were in this hotel up the road. And Matt knew we were there, but Lewis didn't. And his friends didn't. Because also the drugs that Lewis was on were substantial. And that was a big responsibility for Matt. And the Rainbow's doctor was on call 24-7. He was like, I'm here. Lewis should have this holiday. And then during the weekend... Um, his ankles started to swell. He had cankles really swell badly. And Matt contacted me with a photo and, and took a photograph and said, Mum, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about his legs. They're swelling really badly. And uh, so I contacted the doctor and he came back and very, very classy. Well, it's one of two things, he said. It's either water retention or heart failure. I was like, 
or the onset of Hartville. So I said, well, I'm not being funny. I said, but he's with nine of his friends. And if Lewis passes away there, I said, the trauma that we're going to have to deal with is going to be significant for all of them. I said, please, please, do we bring him home? And he went, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, and so Lewis had his weekend away and Matt and I met in the, with his dad Ian, in the pub car park, swapping over drugs because they needed more drugs. And I thought that looked extremely dodgy, <laughs> handing over these Class A drugs in a car park to his brother. But his brother knew what, what he was doing. And Lewis had his weekend away. And there's a fantastic photograph on our wall um, at home of Lewis, arms in arms, in the sunset, walking towards the beach with his friends carrying him because he wanted to see the sea uh, for one last time. And that's what his friends did. So when people say about young people, this is the kind of thing that doesn't go into the press about young people. But Lewis's friends were phenomenal. And they carried him. I mean, he had a wheelchair, but, you know, they, they took him out of the chair and they carried him and he paddled his feet in the sea. Um, and that was just, that was beautiful. And when he came home, I'd say to the GP, you know, the, the rainbows, I said, he's on his way home. And um, he met us. He was standing at the door, you know, and he was like, GP was. yeah, the GP was. He was waiting for Lewis to come home. We got home about 10, 15 minutes beforehand and unpacked everything as if we'd never been there. And then they you all arrived. never knew you were there? No, wow. no. It was important, I think, that he had that weekend away. But, I mean, his friends, they came around um, after Lewis had passed and... Um, we spent time with them and we talked about Lewis and and uh, we sat and uh, they sang because, like I say, they're in the theatre and that. And um, it was called Wings Wednesday. Lewis always had wings on a Wednesday with his friends. So we did it after the Lewis had passed. And they said, they started talking. They went, oh, we can't talk about that because what happened? And Mabel thought, I said, I've got some news for you. <laughs> Their faces. <laughs> Sunsy and suspicious parents, we were there. And there was one point when I desperately just wanted to see Lewis. I just wanted to see him. And I said to him, I just need to see, I just need to know where he is, you know. So we drove past the caravan site as they were crossing the road at the traffic lights. And all you could see was this car driving with the steering wheel with you. And Matt's looking at us, I'm going, what are you doing? <laughs> So Matt saw us, but Lewis didn't, you know. And then Matt phoned us and he said, what were you doing? I went, Matt, it's so hard. How, how you give away two of Lewis's last days as a mum, I mean, that is, that's that's love that, that you can't imagine. And I, I, Just talking to you, it's, so I, I remember, I mean, I, I, I will never forget that conversation we had where I had to tell you that, that Lewis's cancer treatment had stopped working and you know for lots of levels Lewis I, I, I'm a young consultant I haven't been doing it that long and, and I will always remember Lewis and you for 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 lots of reasons um and I remember we had that conversation it was all the isolation and and we were not meant to go anywhere near mm. each other with masks and and we went outside on the roof terrace and um and I think we took off our masks didn't we and, and we did I said I'd like to give you a hug, and Claire was there, and you said, "Well, let's just have a hug." And and to me, that uh, that just that was that. 
that was kind of my closure that that I it allowed me to feel like I was a person and I could show you how how much it hurt me as well as uh, you know to to not being able to to do what we wanted to with Lewis um but but I I do remember when you know as a, as an oncologist when treatments stop working we want to be able to offer treatments and and as soon as I realized I think I had there was a day or so whilst we were getting the scans kind of because I didn't want to have a conversation until we knew for definite and I was phoning around drug companies trying to get drugs that may have you know a one in 20 chance of doing something tiny for, for a month or so and um, you want to you want to be able to offer something and and there is always something you can offer but quite often it's the wrong thing to do because the chance of it doing anything mm. is so small. And Lewis was very firm, wasn't he? That, that as you say, he'd been through so much and he didn't mm. want to try something with minimal chance of success and he wanted to live. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was hard. I, I can't, I mean, in my gut, I knew because um, I remember when um, the cancer started to break through. And I have to say to you, Lucy, I will never, ever re- forget the terminology. There's a spanner in the works. That day or before? No, it was, uh, it was on the, the phone. Where you'd, oh, there was something coming through. And you went, there's a bit of a spanner in the works. And I was like, and that, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that was an understatement of the year. But, um, but, but we were, it was on the phone about, um, I think that was the week before. And, um, but also what was really... Because um, mm. we obviously wanted to have a conversation. Mm. And, and I knew mm. at that point probably what was happening, but we didn't know for sure. And yeah. um, did you know when, when, when you came up that day and, and I'd asked yeah. you and you yeah. did you? I already, know? yeah. Um, we didn't talk about it. His dad and I did um, because we also hoped against hope that it was um, like an appendix stump or something because of exactly where it was. Um, there was two. There was two reasons that I felt that I knew really was um, the conversation. I was, you know, there's there's a, there's a spanner in the works, and I thought if something can come through that level. And because the chemotherapy was like five days of chemo, one and then three the next, you know, the following for If something to such a brutal regime, cancer can break through, then it's a seriously significant cancer that can do it. Um, that was one one thing. The other one was that um, Lewis had had a couple of infections and he had to have them drained. And when they went to do a biopsy, it was solid. It wasn't an infection it wasn't and I remember um gosh I can't remember her name now she was a um, sarcoma nurse um specialist Nicola 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 was with us and Nicola and I Lewis came up so joyful that he didn't have to have another drain pel- drain in his pelvis and he went mom mom it's great news it's solid and I looked at Nicola and she was like and she, she she looked away as quickly as she could, and and she didn't give anything away. But I knew absolutely that it wasn't good news, and and also <laughs> with the pandemic to be invited in with mm-hmm. Ian present exactly at the same time. I said, Ian, this isn't good news. It's mm-hmm. just not. And and I think Claire knew that the fifteenth of July was Matt's birthday, Lewis's brother. 
So there was a thoughtfulness there that we were actually told yeah. on the 16th of July. Um, and I think we were numb, to be honest. I mean, I think Ian said, oh, could you give us a minute? And then the three of us just held one another. And, and yourself and Claire left the room and, and we held one another and, and we had a bit of a cry. Um, and then you know, people came back in and we started talking about the practicalities, really. Um, and, and I always remember that Lewis thanked you for, for, um, for, for, for trying. And, and, I, and, and I do as well. I mean, I think um, the cancer was brutal. It was rare. It was aggressive. And hadn't you and the team intervened, we would have lost Lewis at Christmas. So you gave us, um, you gave us six months with our son, and that quality time I'll never forget. Um, can so, you can you say that? And that that's so, it's so rare. We never, I never get to have a conversation like this, and I can't tell you how, how how grateful I am that 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 I get get to to talk to you on a, on a level that you wouldn't normally but do you you know when treatments do stop working sometimes I look back and think what did we achieve with this Lewis had an amazing six weeks at the end but it sounds like those six months actually despite being in and out of hospital despite COVID despite all the infections there was quality there you got you got to become 18 um when when you when you've got very little time left all the time that you get is precious. Um, so he got that time. Um, he, we got to have a relationship with him. He grew up, as you say, during yeah. that time. And, and we got a glimpse of the fine, fine young man he was going to be. I mean, we knew he was a, he was a fine young man, but we also saw the man. He, be, he became a man. And, um, you know, he, he, he was an inspiration. And um, he gave his brother time with his brother as well, because his brother had been, you know, in university away and he came home. Um, so we, we had that time. And, and any time that you get is really precious. But, I mean, we found out that Lewis's treatment, if you think about how brutal the cancer was, Lewis's treatment stopped and we were told on the 16th of July and he passed away on the 15th of August. That's how brutal that cancer was. And we would have lost him at Christmas, hadn't you? Not Christmas. Mm. We would have lost him in February yeah. hadn't, hadn't you and Dr. Hennig intervened. Um, because, you know, he was dying. He came to the city hospital dying. I didn't think he was going to make those three weeks, and I don't think any of you did either. Because he really had to fight for his life when he first arrived at the city hospital. I mean, I literally. I, so I don't think we ever talked about prognosis um uh, and we talked obviously in in very loose terms and and I, I remember you you questioned me on long-term longer-term survival um but but Lewis and you actually I don't think you ever really probed what the chances were of that um and we never I, I don't I don't remember having that conversation with you we never did actually because um and that might be just blind faith or naivety but I'm so glad we didn't because without hope, without hope, and and I never Googled it. I never Googled it. You wouldn't have found anything because it was so rare. It was so rare. Um, so we didn't, um, we took it on face value. And I mean, okay, um, Ian went on to some websites and he went into some, 
chat rooms and what have you to try and see whether there was any, you know, that was what he was doing. And, and, and um, no, we never, the prognosis side of it, we just literally took it to data time. And I remember when we got there um, and we were told, do not plan. Do, do not plan. And um, plan nothing. And the, 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 the couple of times that we did plan, mainly for an 18th and a 21st wedding anniversary, the couple of times that we did plan, you were absolutely right to tell us not to plan. Mm. Um, and we lived by the phone and we lived by the hospital. Um, and that was, in really in fairness, sound advice. Um, but now we never, it's interesting, we, 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 we came to you exhausted. We were burnt out by the time we actually got to the city hospital because there'd been three rounds of misdiagnosis of mm-hmm. Lewis. He's on the cancer pathways, off the cancer pathways, on the cancer pathways, off the cancer pathway. And then suddenly he is on the cancer pathway. You are being transferred. And it was actually, he had a, he was transferred with a significant infection and we couldn't even wait for the infection to go before the chemo started. It, it, was, it, the, the, it was that serious. And we were in shock, to be honest. But one of the things that we did do, I think, to help tell part of Lewis's story was those beads of courage. Yeah, talk about those. Because I, I didn't actually know about those until you and Lewis told me. Yeah, we were asked to do if we wanted to do them. And, and the reason that, that was done was because I think Lewis, before Lewis got to the city hospital, he did 164 procedures. And every single one of them, there was a bead to represent it, be that an operation, be that critical care, um, you know, his kidney was removed, be that blood transfusions, overnight stays in hospital. There was a different bead for different different things. And now, I mean, those beads are, are packed away at the moment, but we have decided that at some point we will commission an artist and we will we will have those beads into some form of painting or the representation of those beads of the four seasons of Lewis's life. Um, but we also don't want them to be defined by, by cancer. And those, ironically, those beads um, also talked about Lewis. His courage was in there. Um, for his 18th, they had a special bead that was 18 all about me. That's what was on the bead. Um, there was a standard joke about the one about losing his hair um, because of the it just didn't look right. Uh, not not his hair. He actually he actually carried having no hair. He carried that really well, um, and that was hard as well. The day that he he chose to have his head shaved because he knew he was losing it, and uh, I couldn't do it. Claire did that, um, but there's a beat. There's a beat around that. Um, so I haven't got them back out again yet. I um, they're they're packed away at the moment. Um, not sure. How do you how do you learn to live after losing well, two sons? I guess. How, how do you- uh, differently, differently. I mean, Mark Lewis's brother. Um, he he was stillborn. Um, so for for Mark, it was unspent moments. Um, for Lewis, it was, um, oh, there's a hole, a Lewis-sized hole in our lives. 
I don't think you go, you don't go over the grief. You learn to live with it and you have to make choices. You have to make conscious decision to be happy, try and experience joy. Not quite pulled that off yet. Um, you have to make that decision because, and I also have counseling. I had CBT because it was very traumatic. Um, um, seeing your son go through that. Um, but also Lewis led by example. Um, he really did. And, and he, sat, he sat his dad and I down and said, look, this is going to get tough, but you both need to come through it. And I want you to stay married at the end. <laughs> you know, um, Please come through this. Um, so he gave us a bit of a, a talking to that he wanted to make sure that we came through it. When he, was, this was this Was this when he knew he was dying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the pressure that it puts on you is incredible. But at United, we were we were so strong, and we still are. You know, we're we're, we're a strong family, and we've got a lot of a lot of support around us. Um, but yeah, and, and also during that time, Lewis wrote his best man's speech. His brother's not even engaged, but he didn't want to miss the chance of tearing into tearing into his brother. So he's he's written the best man's speech. Was that Lewis's is, idea to do that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I took the notes. He, he dictated it, and also Lewis wrote the um, the criteria of his trust that he wanted us to support. You know, aspiring young actors that financial barriers to go into their auditions and what have you. And criteria one is not cocky. <laughs> so I said to him, "I think he told me this actually. I, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I said, could you put? Um, could it be humble? So." <laughs> Type humble and in brackets, not cocky. So <laughs> we can safely say that Lewis's trust has actually got a criteria that's not cocky um, and driven and resilient and what have you. So he's um, he he wrote that. But yeah, how do you do it? You you do it in memory of him. He fought to live, and out of respect for him, we have to. If he, he fought so hard to live. We cannot throw our lives away, but you live with grief. You don't get over it. You don't get through it. You live with it. I am absolutely opposed to the seven stages of grief. Uh, I've read. I was. I read a book which is exceptional, and it's called Tear Soup. And it's a really good book, and really, it's about living with grief, and how you make your soup is up to you. The ingredients that you put into that soup is your choice of ingredients. People want to share their soup with you. People insist that their soup's better than yours or this is the best flavour of, of soup. Some people don't want to have your soup. Some people don't want your soup in their house. And other times, other people want to add ingredients to that soup. It sounds a bit strange, but um, so there's times where the soup is on the back burner and there's times where it's just, you know, it's it's... We're consuming it on a day-to-day -day basis. But you learn to live with it. Um, but you no, we'll never, ever get over losing Lewis. Um, never. And one of the one of the things I, I don't know, yeah, I know one of the things I know you you would like to change is is improving the care of young people who are becoming adults through cancer or I guess any chronic chronic illness. What are the big changes that, that you would like to see that, that you think would make a difference? I'd like to see it in statutory services across the board, but particularly in, in health and social care, um, but particularly with some, from a health perspective. There has to be a transition period. 
not when if someone suddenly turns 18, they're in transition. I think there has to be a transition team. I think there has to be transition policies. Um, there has to be practices, processes, procedures and training. Personally, I think it starts at 17 and a half, if not 17 through to 19, where you actually have a transition team that assists. If I cannot be in hospital with my son because he's turned 18 or, you know, with my sister or my brother or whatever it is, hmm. we need to know that someone highly trained, a policy is in place, a law, if you like, is in place that that isolation does not happen, that um, it's explained as well. It doesn't happen in conversations where a family has to abide by a culture that's, you know, um, dictated by a particular ward. I mean, you might have, I mean, I, I have no qualms about the, the, the ward management or anything at all, but it shouldn't be reliant on the personality of an individual. Absolutely. Yeah. You shouldn't be feeling like you've got grace and favour to be allowed to do something. There should be uh, an expectancy that it happened, not to the point that a parent interferes. And also if a young person does not want their parent there, then that should happen privately. A conversation takes place. The, the young, it is about the young person. Funny enough, I think Rainbow's achieved it as well. They were able to treat Lewis like an adult, but it was inclusive. It wasn't exclusive. And that's how it feels. And I think also people will say, oh, it was during a pandemic. I don't know about you, but don't you find when something's under duress, the shortcomings come to the surface? Mm -hmm. And I do think the shortcomings in regards to the transition from paediatric to adult services shouldn't rely on the personalities and characters of individuals. There should be a law. There should be policies. There should be procedures. But also there should be trained, psychologically informed personnel there. I mean, it was unfortunate that a youth worker wasn't there. But interestingly enough, even when the youth worker was there, they were so junior mm. I think in the pecking were, order. Yeah. Oh, do you mean in the hierarchy of the hospital? Yes. That yeah. They yeah. yeah. I actually think there should be a principal youth officer based mm. A principal, like you have a, a consultant, I think you should have a principal youth officer that is based in the hospital that actually has credibility and kudos. Wouldn't it be amazing if you actually had a youth and community provision that had the same kudos as infection control? <laughs> oh my God. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am I am not a health and safety person as you might have picked up and I am I'm sure I will get into trouble at some point for not ticking all the NHS boxes and, and breaking breaking rules but um, yeah Wait, Sometimes, sorry there's more policies practices and procedures around putting a pair of curtains up I suspect than actually um you know what thou shall and thou shall not be able to do my question would be, have we got the same passion um, and level of scrutiny in regards to transition from paediatric mm -hmm. to adults? I mean, like I say, ours took place at one o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. And I mean, I have got no, the youth workers at QMC were phenomenal. And actually, they continued to come whilst mm -hmm. things were sorted out. But when we, when Lewis went onto the cancer pathway, the youth worker wasn't available because they were, they were ill or they were on a course. Um, you wouldn't do that if a doctor wasn't available. 
No. You know, so I, I do think that when it's involved young people, especially around critical care, and, you know, uh, but I'm not going to, I mean, it, it's just the same as if a child's broken the leg or I, I, I don't know. Um, but I would like to see a transition period that, I mean, I do, I am, I am following this through in regards to what, what I, I believe needs to, needs to happen. But um, Lewis shouldn't, Lewis became very, Lewis and I became very dependent on each other and, and, and I'm so proud of the time I spent with them. You should be, Gillian. I am, thank you. Um, but if they'd also been, um, I didn't want to leave them. Mm. And I also remember having to fight at one point to keep the, the ward open because there was talk that the ward was going to be handed over to COVID. And at one point, I think there was only two people on that ward. And I did phone uh, Teenage Cancer Trust and said, where are you? And they said, we're monitoring the situation. And I said, well, that's very passive. Um, but I have no quite, again, I don't think, I think everybody was reacting to infection control and, you know, control and rightly so. But um, to be told that the ward would be closing and being open to COVID patients actually meant that Lewis would go into the general population of cancer treatment. We would never have been together. No. We would I, know, and, and that's for every cancer patient. Yeah. I do I, so, I, I think, um, I I think the experience that that you two you guys had was was at the worst possible time, and and I do think looking back, as the NHS will will think, how the hell how the hell did we get away with doing that? But I, yeah. I guess the other side of the coin is is they were terrified yeah. and they didn't understand what we know now. But yeah, but I have to say, Lucy, I never met a person that heart wasn't good and actually had the the patient at the core. I have no. Um, I only met but good people that loved what they did and actually were driven for the benefit of Lewis. I have an issue with the culture in regards to the psychologically informed well-being of of, of people, young people. Um, but I, not, I have no qualms about no blame, no blame. Uh, Julian, we've we've been talking well over what I said. Um, I I could. I could talk to you for hours um, and I looking after Lewis has it, it has changed me as an oncologist um, because I haven't, been, I haven't been doing it that long and Lewis was probably I think he was my first young patient who died um, that I'd taken all the way through um, and for that reason partly because of Lewis partly because of you you fought the whole way you were hard sometimes I would be terrified to come and see you both not knowing oh. <laughs> I would go to get asked I'm so sorry <laughs> in a good way because you know one of the, the hardest things about treating rare rare cancers is that there is no there's no right or wrong answer it's not like breast cancer where you have a trial of thousands of women and you know we were treating a cancer that was incredibly rare was generally seen in two-year-olds there were there were there were literally you could count cases on your hand and and so often I didn't have the answers um but yeah I, I will never forget Lewis um I think I've learned because you were honest with me about about things that were good and things that were not good um I think I, I I've I've learned from that and just probably the biggest take home is that 
you shouldn't always scramble to offer treatments that aren't going to do anything. Um, and seeing what you and Lewis did with the last few weeks of his life is really incredible. Um, and yeah, what a few weeks you guys had. And, and you should just, on your, you know, you, you should be so proud of the way you went through this and fought for him at every single corner um, and are coming out the other side. I'm sure you you know, I'm sure it will change your career as well and, and the, the help you offer young people through the YMCA. Yeah, it does inform my practice. Can I just ask you one question? Mm-hmm. As a parent, would there be anything you'd like to be treated differently? Because I think this is a two-way process. You know, um, parents are at the point of we, we have to treat each other as human beings, um, even at the worst of times. I think I only, you know, I think I'm, I've got angry um, with once, really, when a, a junior doctor came in and said, oh, and what are we in for today? And we'd actually come in for palliative care to change the drugs. And I, I, I just said, just leave. Just, just, just leave. I said, when you've read his notes, then come back in. Just, just get out kind of thing. And this was literally a few days after we'd had to come back down from from a holiday to uh, get his palliative care resolved. And I always felt, and one of the nurses came in and went, are you all right? And I was like, yes. And she went, do you need any more fresh meat? And I was like, oh, I don't see stuff like that. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt dreadful. So I suppose my question would be, even at the worst of times, what, what can parents do? Are those that really loved ones need to take into consideration for you as a consultant and your colleagues? What, what, do, what do you want to see as well? Honestly, I, 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 I you know, see your role as a mum, what can you do other than advocate for your son mm, mm. and be there for your son? And sometimes it's easier to battle on someone else's behalf than it is to battle on your own behalf. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, you shouldn't. I, 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 I always say, you know, I, I would rather have. 100 questions and no questions um mm. i i do always try to make a point that that we don't always have the answers and sometimes mm. it's because we don't know um mm. you know sometimes patients do know a lot more than us but sometimes there just isn't an answer and, mm. and i guess our role is to help you make the decision you being the patient mm. or the family mm. make the decision mm. that's right for you with the information mm. that we have but yeah, no mother, father, brother, sister should ever feel bad for fighting for their loved mm. one. That's, mm. that's what you do. That's what humans do. Yeah, yeah. I suppose we have to do it, just at least try and do it with a modicum of respect, really. But you did. I, you did. I, I'm, I was going to say, I hope I did. Um, but I mean, I would, I would fight. I'm like, I would fight for them all over again. Um, I, I don't think there'd be much I would change in the fight, to be honest. Um, but. I think it's just making sure that we can we can at least do it with respect. And I've really valued this conversation. I really, really have. And if there's anything I can do to, you know, I, th- I want Lewis to have a purpose as well. I want there to be a purpose in what happened for Lewis, really, and allow his name to live on. Well, you, you're you're doing that with the trust and the walk, Lewis. We'll put links to that and include Thank it. You. On- media and um yeah I, I I mean thank you Gillian for sharing it I'm sure you'll have made a few people cry um and also kind of want to go out and live um having heard how you managed to live through through the unimaginable um thank you very much
Wow, what an absolute privilege it was to talk to Gillian as a person. Um, I, I tried to record this finish straight after we'd finished chatting and, and I couldn't get anything out. I couldn't, I couldn't process where that conversation had taken me to. Um, and, and I'm now recording this on Saturday, a few, a few days after the conversation. Um, I remember the day after I told Lewis um, and Gillian and Ian that his treatment had stopped working, I cycled to Bristol. Um, and it took me five or six hours of that ride to stop, stop thinking about how they must be dealing or could be de dealing with the news that I'd given them the day before. Um, I saw Lewis once more after that conversation um, and he came back into the hospital after a few days away uh, very briefly just to get his pain medication sorted. Um, and they, they had these plans about how they wanted to live life for however long he had um, and hearing what they managed to do in those last few weeks has given me this huge sense of joy um, and it's it's really emphasized to me how actually helping people make the decision that's right for them which sometimes maybe not having any more treatment can be such a positive thing to do and as oncologists we want to we want to be able to offer treatments, um, and I know deep down that that so often the right thing to do is stopping. But hearing that from Gillian and hearing about how much he lived in those last few weeks, I can't tell you how how much joy that's given me, um, and and I guess a little bit of peace um, as well. I I will always remember Lewis. Um, he he was the first young patient of mine that I've treated from diagnosis. Um, who's died and I don't think you will ever forget that and I don't think I will ever forget some of the conversations I had with him and Gillian um, and Gillian I, I don't know whether you'll ever realize how powerful this conversation has been for me and I, I, I actually feel like it's been kind of a selfish conversation and, it, and it's, it's helped me on a personal level. Um, your strength in supporting Lewis to spend some of his final days with his friends, not with you. I, I cannot even comprehend how much love that, I can't even get my words out, but 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 the love that you have for him that allowed you to do this. Um, and hearing that actually from you and from Lewis's point of view, that the time that he did spend in and out of hospital through the COVID pandemic, which on paper to me often felt like like such a pointless is the wrong word but but was it worth it you know hearing that actually when you're 18 any time is worth it and he got to turn 18 despite the toughness of the treatment even though ultimately it it, it didn't work um that's really powerful as well um I I, I I'm sure well, I know I've been <laughs> been really affected by talking to you, Gillian. You you really are an incredible lady. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, I appreciate it. It's probably been quite a hard listen for lots of you. Um, I would I, I would um, yeah. I, I I hope that by talking about some of the tough topics associated with with cancer, we can help normalise that conversation. Um, 
yeah if you have taken just one thing from this podcast please do tell friends um we just want to to get it out to as many people as possible um we will all be affected by cancer if not ourselves but by through someone we love or, or care for and um i think just we hope that just kind of normalizing some of the really the really difficult conversations and and sharing some of the incredible ways that people find their way through the most unimaginable circumstances um we hope that, that that will be helpful for some people um so please do give us a like give us a share give us a review if you love it if you hate it we want to know um do you like shorter ones do you like the long ones um we really really are um keen for any feedback um and we don't we don't just want empty yes it was brilliant um you can say that about Gillian though because I genuinely think wow what a lady um yeah thanks very much for listening guys um we have got a great guest coming up in a couple of weeks time um and yeah have have a good uh, whatever you're doing listening to this podcast <laughs> bye